live in Hollywood. <laughs> Coming. All right, folks, welcome. Good morning. Should be a year of great success and blessings beyond your expectations. So, what gives us the power for change? Do we have that power? Or, you know, are we just creatures of habit that we, um, you know, take me for who I am. This is, you know, accept me for who I am. And that's it. Now, that doesn't mean we... You know, we shouldn't accept people for we, who they are, absolutely. But that's someone else to accept them for who they are. But for ourselves, are we able to change? And how are we able to change? What well, gives us the power to be able to change? After all, you know, the nature of the individual and the nurture of the individual are very powerful. And so... Who we are in our, so to speak, DNA and who we are by the surroundings that we have dictates so much that often, you know, we feel that we are kind of stuck in a pattern. So how do opposites come together? Stuck in a pattern and trying to get beyond that pattern. Are we able to? Where do we get that strength from? So this week, the Torah portion is Tazria. So Tazria means, is in reference to a woman who gives birth. Tazria, she conceives and gives birth to a child. And then it speaks about certain laws about uh, impurity after birth and, you know, the offerings and so on. And at the same time, this Shabbos is also, we read a special uh, portion. It's Shabbos HaChadish. It is the last of the four special readings that we have. And we started off a special reading with um, the half a shekel to prepare for the month of Nisan with the half a shekel that everybody would give back in the day for their participation in the offerings that were brought in the Holy Temple. And then we read before Purim, we read about Shabbat Zohar to remember Amalek, where Haman, you know, the evil um, came from. So we remember the evil of Amalek and to wipe out the evil. And then last week we had Parshish Bara where we brought purity as we prepare ourselves for Pesach and the Paschal Lamb offering and back in the times of the Holy Temple coming to the holy temple, you need to come there in purity. And then finally, we have Hachidish, reading of the beginning of the Exodus, right? That we're commanded that on the, 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 the tenth of the month to bring the, the, the lamb, 
that would be brought into the home and, and then it would be uh, slaughtered and the blood thereof would be, um, would be put on the doorposts. And what would God do, skip over the Jewish homes and then bring only death in the final of the 10 plagues to the Egyptian firstborn. So Tazria, which is speaking about um, the concept of a woman conceiving. So in mystical terms, that's the idea of from below trying to reach above. That's the concept of uh, the feminine that's trying to reach above. That's the concept of the feminine. Achaydesh is about God from above trying to, or coming down below and skipping over the homes of the Jewish home, uh, uh, of, the, uh, of the Jewish homes, saving the Jewish people, and ultimately redeeming the Jewish people. So that is an act from above to below. So we have two opposites. And yet they, can't, they come at the same time. We read them at the same time. So there must be some kind of connection between them although they seemingly are very different than the other. One is God coming down from below, and, not, and then the other is a woman who's conceiving and bringing birth to a child that's the connection from below trying to reach above. So how do they come together? So we'll understand this by giving some greater depth to understanding, hold on, get. Welcome to uh, Menachem Hello, to Rachel, welcome. Thank you, good afternoon, good evening. Good evening. Okay, so let's share the screen over here. Okay, there we are. So we will be reading. This is the month that will be for you, the head of the months, the first of the months of the year, it will be for you. That's what we're going to read. Sarashi so says on this, regarding the month of Nisan, God said it will be the first in the order of months. Year will be the second, called the second, and Sivan will be the third. Now, uh, you know, as we all know, that this text, of course, is not referring to the beginning of the year, because we all know the beginning of the year is Rosh Hashanah, the month of Tishrei. That's when the cycle of the year begins. But the cycle of the months begins um, Nisan. It wasn't always that way. The cycle of the months actually before this was the beginning of Tishrei. But it no longer will be the first month. Nisan would now become the first month. And 
Why is this? Why, why is it the first month that would fall out in the middle of the year? So the Eben Ezra explains in the following text. Actually, the year belongs only to the sun, as the sun gives birth to all four seasons of the year, cold, fall, heat, spring, summer, and winter. Now let us assume that the sun to be the beginning of Aries. It will travel in its sphere for 365 days plus close to a quarter of a day until it returns a second time to where it started. This is why a year is called Shana, repeat, right? It repeats the same cycle. Now the moon has no year, just as the sun has no month. The sun never experiences renewal right? It, it just repeats the cycle. It's not renewal, just a repeating of a cycle. Only the moon's light is renewed, right? It renews because it waxes and wanes throughout that month. It is because of this that the month is called Chaydish, new, right? It's called new. So the Ebenezer is pointing out that the year and the month are completely independent systems. The year doesn't divide into 12 months, but only into four seasons. And the months don't, cy uh, don't cycle into a annual circuit, only into a monthly circuit, right? Obvious things that we know. So that means that the months have no bearing on the annual cycle right? And the year has no bearing on the monthly cycle. They're completely different tracks. One belongs to the sun, and the other belongs to the moon, right? This is why the cycle of the months can be completely independent from the annual cycle. They're not tied with each other. And the year can begin at one time, and the monthly cycle can begin at another time. So the Torah shows that the month of Nisan should be the beginning of the months of the year because it's a completely independent cycle of the yearly cycle of the sun. And that the sun, this cycle that is independent of the monthly cycle should begin with this with a seventh month, but that doesn't matter that it's a seventh month. It's, it's irrelevant to it because in a yearly cycle, there's no months, right? There's no inherent months. We impose months, but in, right? But there's no, no, no inherent month. So now we understand why We have a distinction between months and the years. One has nothing to do with the other, completely independent of the other, right? Again, months don't fit into a yearly cycle. And the year doesn't have months in it. So God shows that the beginning of the year 
should be Tishrei in its own cycle. And the beginning of the months of the year that it's in its own cycle that has nothing independent of, it, of the yearly cycle should begin with the month of Nisan. Okay, so we answer this question, but this begs other questions then. Why? Why do there have to be two different cycles that start at two different times? It's true there are two different cycles, right? The sun and the moon are not dependent on each other. But just as you could have started from the, from the beginning of Nisan, the months, you could have started the beginning of uh, the beginning of the months, also from Tishrei. But we see it's not that way. So why is Nisan, and of all the months, why is Nisan chosen as the beginning of that cycle? And furthermore, it sounds like the, even though the moon is independent of the sun in its cycle, but it still has an annual cycle. So when we speak about the years, there's a natural cycle of a year. Therefore, there's a beginning and an end. But months, being that it's independent of a year, there is no beginning or end. Beginning and end of a month but nothing more than that. So why do months need to have a beginning? In other words, there's a beginning month, the month of Nisan, the first month. Why does it need a beginning? Because in the end, there is months just go. <laughs> there, there's no beginning, there's no end. In the month itself, there's a beginning and an end, but not in a yearly cycle, but now we're, we're, we got 12 months. Sometimes we have 13 months, like this year, we have an extra month that we add. But why do we need a beginning? Why do we need an end when it's not the natural cycle of it? Right? Because months are just continuous. And you see that by another faith that, you know, that's why their, their monthly fasting always changes because, hey, months have nothing to do with a year. But we make it with, to do with the year because this is the first month of the year. So why do we even have a first month? And if it is a first month, why make it so confusing and make it a different time, the month of Nisan, just make it when the beginning of the year starts. Make it that month then. It seems almost artificial. And finally, we need to understand of course, there needs to be a lesson to be learned from this. What's the lesson? Are the questions clear? Let me share before we go ahead. Yeah? Chaim. Hmm? Menachme Hillel, clear? Michael? Leslie? Abigail? Yeah? Someone not, if it's not clear for someone, can they please speak up? <laughs> Okay, so that means we're clear. Beautiful. So calendars are an important thing because they help us, you know, keep track of our days, our months, our years, right? 
but there's an additional importance to the calendar. And it will give us a, a deeper understanding of, uh, of the months that become necessary for us to appreciate and why Nisan was chosen as the first month. In the words of the Ramban, So the answer to this question is that when the Torah was, the Torah says regarding Nisan, this month is for you, the head of the months, the first of the months of the year, it is for you. It does not mean to say that Nisan is categorically first, but that it is a relative first, namely first for us. That is to say, it is the first month since our exodus. And the Torah instructs us to begin our count of the months from the month of Exodus. It is the Torah's custom to link the counting of the days and the months to mitzvahs. So for example, Jews do not have names for the days of the week. Other nations have names for each day. Jews, however, don't have names for the days of the week. Instead, we refer them in the framework of Shabbos. We say, this is the first day of Shabbos. This is the second day of Shabbos. And, then, and this is how we will remember Shabbos every day. So similarly, months never had names in the Torah or among Jews. Rather, Jews would refer to the months as the Torah does in the first month. And it was in the second year in the second month that the cloud was lifted in the seventh month on the day on the first day, right? Different instances. This then is the meaning of it is the first to you. It does not mean that it is the beginning of the year. It means that it is the first to you, namely that we should call it the first month since our exodus. Okay. So what's Nachmanidi say? There are Ramban. He's explaining that the calendar serves to kind of bake in us in an awareness of wondrous things in our lives, to make sure that we're never forgetting. So today is Hayyayim Yayim we said. It's the first day of what? First day of what? Of from Shabbos, of Shabbos, right? So baked in us is always Shabbos. We're coming from Shabbos, going toward Shabbos, right? There's always that reference point. That means we're incorporating, because in our calendar of life, Shabbos is so integral. It's always being mentioned. It's a feature of every day. Now, until the Exodus, Tishrei was not only the beginning of the year, but it was also the first month. So if you look at, by Noah's flood, right? it said it was in the second month. Do you know what the second month is? Then, Cheshven. Tishrei is the first month. Cheshven is the second month. 17th day of the, sec of the second month of was when the flood began. Right? But after the Exodus, the first month now was switched. It's no longer Tishrei. And the reference in Torah is no longer a second month would be Cheshven. The second month would be Er, Because the second month coming from the Exodus. So that's pretty ingenious, right? 
that the Torah is kind of baking into our individual and collective memory, mindset, that we are bound up in the days of the week with Shabbos and with the months, with the holidays, the holiday of the Exodus, the holiday of Pesach. So we always have that reference point. So that's why it was chosen. With this, we can appreciate, you know, uh, when uh, David Ben Gurion was questioned about, like, about the land of Israel and why you should get the land of Israel, the Jewish people, what kind of connection do you have to it? So this was before the Anglo-America American Committee of Inquiry. So this is what he said. About 300 years ago, the ship set sail for the New World, and its name was the Mayflower. It was an important event in the history of both England and America. And for this reason, to this day, every American child knows the Mayflower, the Pilgrims, the, Pil uh, the Plymouth Rock, and Thanksgiving Day. I'm, however, interested to know if any Englishman or American, for that matter, is aware of the hour and the day that the Mayflower set sail. Does any child even or even adult know how many pilgrims there were in this historical voyage? And what were the names of the families? What did they wear? What did they eat? What did they, where did they get their water to drink? What path did they navigate and what happened en route? Behold, it's more than 3,300 years ago when our people left Egypt. Every Jew in the world, in America, Soviet, Russia, Yemen, and Germany knows that his ancestors departed precisely in the 15th of the month of Nisan. And what did they wear? Their loins were girded, their sandals were on their feet, and their staffs were in their hands, as it says in, in Exodus. They ate matzahs and they arrived at the sea, at the Reed Sea after seven day journey. They know the names of their ancestors and they can quote them to you from the five books of Moses. To this day, Jews world over eat the same matzahs for seven days, starting from the 15th of Nisan each year. And they can relate the story of the Exodus. And they end by shouting two phrases that children and parents and grandparents have been saying for 2,000 years. We are we're our slaves. Next year, we will be free men. Now we are in exile. Next year, we will be in Jerusalem, in the land of Israel. This is the nature of the Jews. Very powerful. So we have, an, we have as Jews, an an outstanding accomplishment that it's 3,300 years since the Exodus. And yet this date is part and parcel of our very DNA. We're never gonna forget. Why? The very name of the month being the first month of Nisan because it's speaking about the Exodus. So that sounds quite amazing. But a bit of a challenge because it seems that what the reason why Nisan is the first of the month we're saying is because of an historical event of the Exodus, 
And that exodus is baked into our very individual and collective Jewish minds and hearts and into our very DNA, right? That we should remember and never forget. But it seems to be like it's superimposed onto the nature of what the months are. I mean, the months are, have nothing to do with the exodus itself, right? It just happens to be in that time. So in other words, the monthly track has no need for a beginning and an end, you know, to say, this is the first month, right? Why does it have to be the first month? Oh, because that's the first month we left Egypt. But it's not inherent to the month, right? It's only important to us because of the historical event that occurred. But we know Torah is much more precise than that. And it can't be that the first of the month is only the first of the month because there is historical thing that occurred that we want to kind of individually, collectively, uh, you know, uh, syringe it into our into our memories and into our very being never to forget this it must be a little more deeply connected the month of nisan um to not just a historical event but what it actually represents is that question clear So that says we got to dig a, a little deeper and to understand the months, why the months have an annual cycle. Remember that, 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 that's an issue over here, right? Naturally, months don't have an annual cycle. So there's no first, there's no second, there's just a continuum, right? At the end of, a, of 12 months, of a, a 12 months, what do you have the next? The next month, 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th. Why are we calling the months that they need a cycle when they're not naturally part of a cycle? Not a cycle of a year, cycle of a month only. So let's better understand the symbolism of these two tracks, months and years. That's what we need to understand. Months that are based on the moon and years that are based on the sun. Months that begin with Nisan, moon-based. Years that are based on Tishrei, beginning, the beginning of the year. That is based on the sun. We're good? See where we're going? All right. So the major states. When God shows the world, he designated dates for the new months and new years. This tract is indicated of the natural law that governed the universe at its inception. Accordingly, the month of Tishrei, when natural law was created, was designated as the beginning of the year. And all subsequent months followed from Tishrei. That was at the beginning, right? Because in the beginning, God created natural law. Natural law starts beginning of Tishrei. That's the beginning of creation. And therefore, all subsequent months also follow Tishrei, as it was originally. However, 
God saw that the world could not sustain this level of judgment and it rose in his will to choose Jacob and his descendants, the Jewish people, meaning righteous people and their good deeds. And in his great wisdom, he chose to reward them in a manner that overrules judgments of, nat of the natural order. He then flooded the world with kindness and implemented a miraculous superior order. So we have two calendars. We have an annual cycle that marks the order of nature. And therefore, and it begins Tishrei, the month that nature was created. But then, and, and then even the months began then. But then later, God chose a people, descendants of Jacob, that would represent the monthly cycle. And what is the monthly cycle? Not nature, but miracle. What happens in that month? The miracle of the Jews being freed from slavery and becoming a people. That is Nisan. Nisan comes the word Nis, miracle. That's the month of the Exodus. So the two cycles represent two systems, not only because they begin respectively in Tishrei, nature, Nisan, miracles, but also because their very natures of the solar and lunar cycles bring out natural and supernatural, as Rebbe explains. The natural order is a steady system that never ceases or changes. It is therefore analogous to the light and the cycle of the sun that is never changing. Similarly, the word shana here in Hebrew is from the cognate Mishnah, repetition, the same cycle repeating in an endless loop. That's the sun, sunrise, sunset, same sun, no difference, right? Same cycle, repetition, that's what Shana means, to repeat. Like from the word Mishnah, repeat the learning, right? And that was how the world was first created and continues to be created, right? And that's Tishrei, Rosh Hashanah being that, that had Shana Tova, a good year, meaning we should have the repeated goodness of God. Then we have the miraculous order is different in that it is a novel order. From time to time, God temporarily suspends the natural order to perform a miracle. This is analogous to the moon. Why? Why to the moon? Because the moon fluctuates each day and its light is renewed each month. Accordingly, Chodesh month in Hebrew is from the cognate Chidush, novelty. Right? So what do we have here? We have two cycles. One that reflects nature and one that reflects the supernatural. In other words, there's two ways that we see the world, the two ways that we engage in time, right? We have a cycle of the sun 
which is natural, sunrise, sunset, the sun doesn't change. It just constantly is an endless loop repeating itself, shana. That's what it means, right? Repetition. But then we have another cycle. We have another way to relate to time and life. And that is the supernatural order of things. That's changing. What do you mean? It's changing from nature, right? Changing from nature. So, now, what's the difference between nature and beyond nature? So the Baal Shem Tov says, the first time something occurs, it's unnatural. It is called a miracle. If it's repeated again, it becomes natural. So think about it. Why is sunrise, sunset nature? Because it repeats itself every day, 365 days a year, right? Why do we see, you know, the the, the power of the ocean, the river's current, beautiful mountain peaks, you know, bed of flowers, whatever it is, maybe beautiful, but it's nature's beauty. Nothing miraculous, seemingly. But when we look a little more deeply, no, actually it is miraculous. Only because we grow accustomed to it, we call it nature. But really, nature is nothing more than a miracle that happens very often. And because it happens so often, we lost its wonderment. But in fact, it is wondrous. Right? That which we call a miracle when the sea splits or manna falls from heaven. Well, what would happen if the sea split every day? Or manna came from heaven every day? How would we relate to it? Oh, well, been there, done that. It's nature. We would take it for granted. So all this tells us is one thing. That the natural is just as miraculous and supernatural as the supernatural is. And that the supernatural is as natural as that which occurs naturally. How come? Why? Simply because they both come equally from God. Not that, oh, nature comes from God, but that supernatural, oh. Ooh, that comes from no no different the effort for sunrise sunset or to split the sea no distinction actually sunrise sunset you could say is a bigger miracle splitting the sea means only to take the nature of water that is to flow and you made it stand up like a wall. So you're just changing the nature of water. 
that sunrise, sunset, it's the word of God that is animating the sunrise and sunset. That would be totally turned into nothingness if the word of God were to be taken away. But in the end, really what they are, are two sides of the same coin. Why? Because they're both equally coming from the same God. In other words, God acts in two ways. He conducts the world's affairs in the natural order, binding the very nature of the world with God. And the fact that it's unchanging and always dependable is only because the word of God is constantly creating it in that manner. So God is creating in an endless, unchanging manner. And that's why we call it nature. But it's God's handiwork just the same. Then at times he chooses to conduct himself in the world and with us in a supernatural way. In a way that we are awed. That we, we clearly see that it's the hand of God that we can't deny it any longer. It's an open miracle. We acknowledge, we embrace him. We even submit ourselves and our will to him. But in the end, it's God choosing one way or the other way to interact with us in the world, naturally or supernaturally, is really the same thing coming from the same oneness of God. So our calendar celebrates then two tracks. Why? Because one track is the yearly feature to tell us how God deals with us in, by, through nature. And then we have a cycle of the months that God deals with us in a way that he overrules nature in a miraculous way. So with this, then we can understand why there's a beginning and an end to months. Because it's about, it's not because it's just merely historically we were released, came out of Egypt in this month, it, our freedom and our you know, beginning of nationhood is at this time. But it's the opposite. Why do we come out at this time? Because it's God acting with us in a miraculous way. So when did he set it forth? In the month of miracle, a month that's the beginning of miracles. And that is part of the cycle of a year. And now there's a cycle of time on how God relates to us and how God deals with us. The other flip side of the coin is that God deals with us through nature, which is a different time, a different part of the, you know, the time slot of the year that is the month of Tishrei. 
Rosh Hashanah. So what do we have over here? We have um, from one God, a capacity to deal with us in our, uh, in our lives, in our time, in our ref context, frame of reference, through nature and through miracles. Why? Because God's beyond both, so therefore he can apply both and express himself in both ways. So now we understand why the first month is not the beginning of the year. Because the beginning of the year is the beginning of creation, which is nature. But then God wanted to create something beyond nature. And that's the Jewish people. So that came later. And the way he deals with us beyond nature. And through that, the world gets a little reflection of that. Of beyond nature. Hence, an eternal people. When is that? Well, that's going to be the miracle, the month Nisan, which means nice miracle. That will show how we're also nice means like a flag flag on top of a flagpole that it's what does a miracle do it just brings your attention oh you see that thing beyond right the, the flag on the flagpole it's higher than you it's greater than you it's beyond you it gives you the recognition of something beyond you that's nissan Right? That's what was chosen. That there's a miracle beyond us. And the first month, uh, that's the first months of the, uh, the first months of the year. But then we have the first, you know, uh, uh, the first days of the year. in order that we should recognize also God within nature. So both are necessary. The only question now is, okay, so what's the lesson from all of this? Very nice. We understand that God is not defined by miracle or by nature. Therefore, he can express himself both in miracle and nature as he chooses to. So he chooses... Tishrei to be the beginning of the natural cycle, which is connected to the sun. It doesn't sunrise, sunset, natural cycle. And he chooses also to relate to us as the month, Chodesh, novelty. Novelty, something that is not continuous, but novel, a miracle. And sometimes we need to see the flag on the top of the flagpole, that there's something transcendent, that we don't get lost in the quagmire of you know daily routine. So we understand that from God's perspective, but what do we learn for ourselves? How do we apply this for ourselves to take a lesson from this 
from these two tracks that converge and are one by God. Now, what do we, how do we learn and what do we take out from it? So we know that everything that God creates is for us. In the beginning of God's creation, the verse calls for a Midrashic interpretation. As our rabbis stated, God created the world for the sake of Torah, which he calls the beginning of his way. And for the sake of Israel, the Jewish people, he's called the first of his grain. So Bereshis, literal meaning means in the beginning of God's creation of heaven and earth, da -da -da, right? But the Midrashic, meaning the uh, homiletic understanding, not the simple meaning, is means in the beginning, Bereshi. So base is the second letter of the alphabet, Olive base, it's a numeric value of two. So you have two reishis, two beginnings. The word reishis means beginning. God created the world for two beginnings. What are the two beginnings? The Torah and the Jewish people. That's what he creates it for. So that means all of creation is there for God, that God created that can serve the purpose to create him and everything in the creation is there to serve him to fulfill this purpose. Okay. So what does that mean? How do we take this message of something that is beyond transcendent of God and natural of God, the coming from the same God, and ultimately there's no distinction. He just chooses this way or that way as a reflection of him. So how do I, what does that mean to me? So Rebbe says in this week's Sicha uh, says the following. As Jews, we must serve God, not because we understand his importance and we want to serve him, but out of a sense of obedience and self-sacrifice to submit to his will. What he needs from us, we do. The benefit of this method is that our service transcends the finite measures and boundaries of our nature. This method of serving God stimulates a parallel desire in God to conduct the world's affairs in a transcendent, transcendental, transcendent supernatural order that awes the world's natural order into submission, as we explained above. On the other hand, continues Rebbe, we must not neglect our human tendencies when serving God, as our entire heart and soul must be wrapped up with it. This is why we must study Torah and fulfill the mitzvahs, not only out of obedience, but also because we understand it and we love it. This method of serving God stimulates a parallel desire in God to conduct the world's affairs according to the natural order, which binds the world's natural order to God. Very powerful idea here. So the two tracks of God's engagement in this world, right? In other words, transcendent and natural are two ways that you and I have to serve God. After all, we have a piece of God in us. So it means we have to serve, serve God in these two ways. We have to marry the two dimensions that we mentioned in 
about God, we have to marry them in ourselves. What, what does that mean? We have to be able to subjugate ourselves to God in a way that is transcendent of my feelings. That's not pending on my feelings. It's not even pending on how I understand or appreciate God. Submit, this is what he wants. Now, for many, they just leave it there. That's transcendence. That's the moon. That's the novelty beyond the miracle of God. That's the miracle of the Jew beyond submitting. That's not enough. Because then we have to take it and bring it into the human condition. Our nature. What's our nature? Well, our nature is to understand things and feel things. That's the nature of humanness. So we need to bring it into there, into our love and understanding and love of God. So two complete opposites. How's that possible? By nature, either a person is kind of like an obedient person or another person is a very intellectual, understanding person. Another person is a loving, heartfelt person. But we need to have both. But the first thing we need to do is the novelty. What's the novelty? That I rise beyond myself. That I'm able to sit, submit myself to something greater than myself. To what God needs from me. Now, you know, the human condition would be when you submit. So then, you know, I don't understand. I don't feel. It doesn't matter. I just, you know. Whatever I need to be obedient and to follow, that's what I do. No, that would not be, that would be missing the point here. You'd be like the moon. You would be over the moon, <laughs> right? Um, you would be miraculous, but then God would not be touching nature. Like, why can't God just do miracles then? You know why? Because he doesn't want to only touch beyond nature. He wants to touch nature itself. He wants to be revealed within nature. So it's the same thing as us. That we have a, a piece of God in us, a nefesh of a kiss, a godly soul that's a part of God. Likewise, we have the same capability that we can rise above and transcend and be that miracle, meaning beyond what my feelings are, I can still submit and do what God needs, even though I might not be feeling it. And at the same time, I bring it into my feelings. I bring it into my understanding. I engage both. How, how can you do that? Because we're not limited to just submitting or just to being human. We are like God has that capability. He gave us that capability within us, which is, wow, unbelievable. So like the author explains in Tanya, that, um, you know, 
the Jew would be ready to give up their lives. Right? When it would be a question of faith. They're not going to idolatry or another religion, another faith. For the most part, the, the Jewish soul is alive enough, might be, it may be dormant in other areas of its life, but when it comes to that, it's fully awake. Similar, like, you know, like the proverbial story of the, of the mother who her child was caught under a car, stuck under a car, and she picked up the car, right? Went beyond transcending her nature. Later on, she couldn't, you know, she couldn't pick up, uh, you know, a load of potatoes, it was too much. But to pick up the car was, why? Because the call of the hour, her child is stuck. Same thing as the Jew, the call of the hour. Jews gave up their lives. Even though they didn't live that way, but they gave up their lives. Transcending nature. Not because it got them a bigger Garden of Eden, not because it gave them, uh, you know, made them into, uh, you know, uh, you know, get a greater reward. No, just transcending their nature of, you know, human reasoning and feelings. So we have that cap capacity, but how do you live that way all the time? You can't, unless. You can't pick up, you know, can't pick up cars all the time, right? Not giving up your life all the time. So how do you live that way? It's that we have the capacity to strive beyond and to recognize that everything in our lives is about a connection or a disconnect from God. And we can, we understand that. Or better yet, we submit to that, period. Not because we understand it, actually. Even if you don't understand it, even if you don't feel it. I mean, this little thing that I'm going to do is going to really ruin the eternal plan. So, you know, with your intelligence, yeah, it's nothing, right? But we submit to it beyond our intelligence. And then... We don't remain there. That's the point. We don't remain merely because we need to engage our minds and our hearts and to feel it. That is necessary because we, you know, you can't go on um, sort of, you know, an adrenaline rush you can't always have, right? Can't always be beyond. I mean, you could in a sense, but but you also have to bring it from within. That it becomes a part of you in the nature of you, which is nature of humanness is the mind and the heart. That the mind and the heart are engaged, not disengaged. Because when you transcend your mind, How do you bring it then into the mind? It's because when you're defined neither by neither by transcendence or by mind and heart, what defines you? Jewish soul. 
That's what you are, period. A godly soul. That's what you are, period. In it, it has the capability of two opposites. Transcending my understanding and feelings. Not doing it based on that. Committing because, just because that's what God wants from me. That's what I needed. And then at the same time, because the flip side, it's, it's, it's not negating it. In a sense, it's negating it, but then it's bringing it into it, that it engages the mind and the heart, that it too is on board. And that's the lesson over here. The uniqueness of uh, this Parsha. Parsha is Tazriya. Tazriya means the woman giving birth is nothing more human, nothing more beautiful, right? And it's the concept of from below to above, trying to reach and attach all the human frailties and challenges to reach above. And then it's also the Shabbos HaChidosh. Chidosh, Chidosh, novelty, miracles from above, transcending the human condition. And the two have to come together. Ah, they're two opposites. Ah, that's the power of uh, that God gave us, that we can bring two opposites together. I've mentioned this many times and mentioned again. The uh, actually this for bring the Shabbos for for bringing as we do every Shabbos and then the Kudah point was you know Western civilizations sees everything as broken. Well, of course you're born in sin, so you know everything is you start broken and you know you try to fix it, right? Even, even the health system. What's the health system? What's Western way of health? You got a problem? We'll, we'll try to find a solution to fix it, right? What's therapy mean? You, you're broken in spirit. I need fixing, right? Nature of the world. Correct? Make sense? Then you have another faith that, you know, they're trying to be transcendent. They don't care about here. You know, they got 72 Virginians. They made a mistake. It's Virginians. It's Thomas Jefferson waiting for them and George Washington. <laughs> right. Transcendence. Yeah. The mother... She's not crying about, she's not crying that her, that her child, you know, just went to smithereens. What are you talking about? I'm so proud. Now you might say that's transcendence. It, it, in the end, it's not. It's just stupidity, but it seems to, you know. Um, so you have to, it's polar opposites between the two. 
comes Judaism and says, no, 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 no. That's not truth. Every truth that comes in a paradox. And here's a paradox. Transcendent, beyond ourselves, and then bring it into yourself. That your heart and your mind and your heart are completely attuned to it. So yeah, we can submit ourselves to something greater than ourselves. And at the same time, make it part and parcel of ourselves, of our minds, of our perception, of our heart and our feelings. That's a paradox. Because you think either. Why? Because we're not defined by nature. Others are. So they have one kind of nature. One culture has one kind of nature. Another culture has a different kind of nature. One person has one nature. Another person has a different nature. And they're going to be defined by that nature. That's not, that's not Judaism. That's not the neshama that we're talking about. Not defined by it. Not limited by it. But we're not limited by being transcendent either. <laughs> that itself is a, a limitation. God's not transcendent by that he can only, you know, do miracles? No. He can make sunrise, sunset for thousands of years, and that's nature. It's all him. It's all an expression of him, as the miracle is. So the same thing is our understanding and our love of God. That's not what the initial motivation, our initial motivation is something beyond, transcendent. But then it doesn't preclude our understanding and our love. We bring it into that. It becomes part and parcel of just the nature of who we are and what we are. And that's bringing the two, Chaydesh and Tazriya together as one. As God relates to us as one God, we relate back to him as one people as a whole individual, not a fractured person. So, Siddhis tells us, look at the person as being whole, complete. That's what the Rebbe sees in each and every one of us. He's whole, so, he's able, so he sees us as whole. Right, the nature of things would be either you're going to see a person, wow, amazing, or fret, or they're broken. Oh, they're broke. This is they're broken with this. They're broken with that. They need help here. They need help there. Or that they're whole. They're complete. And because they're whole and complete, so therefore they can be act in a transcendent way. They can submit to something greater than, we can submit to something greater than ourselves and at the same time, make it ourselves, a part and parcel of who and what we are humanly in our minds, understanding, and in our hearts, feeling. Any questions, any comments, any thoughts? It has been a profound class. Uh, amazing. Thanks. Thanks for sharing.
Uh, it's, it's very, very, very deep. Yeah, yeah, it's very profound and um, very, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking like? It's uh, very empowering and, and, and uh, very, um, very rich. I mean, listen, the Rebbe's teachings, <laughs> Hasidis, so it's very rich. Yeah. Yeah. Yet at the same time, very doable. It's it's not I, beyond our ability to live this way. Exactly. So I I, th I think the, the the key that uh you know, in in is how we look at ourselves and how we look at another. If we look at ourselves fractured, you know, and we need healing. So that's human. That's normal. That's nature. That's the nature of, of things, right? The nature of things are, you know, this world is needs a lot of healing. People need a lot of, uh, you know, healing that's necessary. That's true. But there's another way. Maybe, you know, let's look at ourselves as we're not fractured. Maybe we're whole. I mean, after all, we, we do have a, divine soul we have a piece of god in us so we're whole we're complete ah uh, sometimes we lapse okay we're only lapsing from the the true nature of who we are whole complete right so the lapse the lapse isn't isn't that doesn't make me a broken person just means uh you know a moment of insanity <laughs> entered right <laughs> moment of insanity entered but that's not me i'm whole and and so is the other person whole so i don't relate to them as a uh, you know broken individual they you know they did this bad thing they did the wrong thing do we do yeah but am i relating to you as someone who did something wrong or am I relating to you as you know, I'm whole, you're whole? Like, if, if why would I relate to someone else that they're, you know, that they're something wrong with them? You know why? Because something wrong with me. That's the only reason. So Malshamsa says we what we see in another is a reflection of what we see in ourselves. So start seeing yourself as whole. Whole means you're know, a living paradox. You're able to submit to something greater than yourself and make it of yourself and make it yourself. Make it part and parcel of who and what you are. It's not just you're submitting and just, you know, letting go and you lost yourself, you know. No, 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 no. You didn't lose yourself. You integrated it and make it every part of yourself. That's whole. And that's what we are. So when I see myself that way, and I am that way. Uh, maybe I didn't act this way at this moment. Uh, okay. Doesn't take away from the fact of what we are. Then I'll be able to see another person that way. And to talk that way to them. So I'm not talking to a fractured person. I'm talking to a whole person. And that's what the Rebbe did. That's how the Rebbe spoke. How he related. And that's, you know, we need to try 
what we what we can be and do. All right, folks. God bless you all. Thank you, Rabbi Fine. That Thank was you, fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. And again, Navida and Liba. Wow. They're, I think they're forever 21. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rabbi uh, So again, Mazel Tov and uh, only blessings to the forthcoming year of beyond and from within. <laughs> All right. Good everybody. Good Be well. Thank you very much. Bye. 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 Bye